Hello and welcome back to another particularly insane week of the Fail Mary podcast. Given that there were so many surprising losses this week, our main feature story will be about the different ways to lose and how to lose in the NFL. We'll also have the mailbag, games of the week, and of course, the Akastaka, which has not been faring well or so lately. But first of all, we must do the headlines. Starting with the Falcons beating the Saints 26-9. The Falcons got six sacks and conceded no touchdowns in that game. A surprising loss to the Saints team that were coming off a bye, of course. The Browns, another surprising win, beat the Bills 19-16 despite a really terrible red zone performance. They had eight plays at one point short of the two-yard line of the Buffalo end zone and still didn't manage to get in. However, they did manage to come away with a win. The Titans beat the Chiefs with Mahomes 35-32. They threw only 19 times in that game and yet still somehow managed to run out eventual winners. The Dolphins beat Brissettless Colts to go 16-12 and, and two wins in a row! Oh my goodness, Fitzpatrick or Fitzmagic threw for 169 yards to nine different receivers. Unbelievable. I think I could catch a, a few yards in the Dolphins offense, to be honest. <laughs> anyway, the Rams lost to the Steelers 17-12. The Rams offense, that ludicrously good Sean McVay offense, got zero points and suffered five turnovers. So, uh, good work there. The Vikings beat the Cowboys 28-24. Dalvin Cook had 33 touches in that game, 183 scrimmage yards and a touchdown. And San Francisco finally lost to the Seahawks 27-24. They suffered three turnovers and really couldn't get the run going. They only had 86 rush yards between their three backs. In less surprising news, the Packers beat the Panthers and the Raiders beat Chargers. Who are, and the Raiders are now 5-4. That's a winning record for a team with almost no defence. And that means that our standings are, in the AFC, the Patriots are 8-1, the Ravens 7-2. They are our first two seeds. Texans, they are 6-3 and, and, and the Chiefs are 6-4. The Bills and the Steelers make up the wildcard spots there. The Bills are 6-3, and three, the Steelers are 5-4, and four, the Raiders, Colts and Titans all have five wins. So they're just behind. In the NFC, the 49ers and Green Bay are first and second seed. The 49ers are 8-1 and Green Bay are 8-2. Third and fourth seed are the Saints and the Cowboys. Saints are 7-2, and two, Cowboys 5-4. and four. That's in the really terrible NFC East at the moment. And then fifth and sixth seed are the Seahawks and the Vikings. The Seahawks are 8-2. And only fifth seed and the Vikings seven and three the Eagles are also five and four and they're the only real team at the moment in with a hope the Rams and the Panthers are away off the pace if they want to look for a wild card spot and that will bring us into the headlines and that means that we must get on to the story of the week and that is how do you lose in the NFL Well, old-fashioned NFL pundits and players and the like will tell you that it doesn't matter how you lose, a loss is a loss. But obviously that's not true anymore and is a, a very backward way of looking at sport in general. You can obviously have a really, really terrible loss or a very close loss. Completely different things and they mean different things. So by way of uh, boxing analysis, I'll explain to you the different losses in the NFL. Uh, head coaches... When they prepare for a game, they have their defense, which is a group, and their offense, which is usually the guy. They have the guy, and as long as the guy gets it right, then the offense will usually sort of work around him. For 90% of teams, the guy is the quarterback. That would make sense, considering he touches the ball on every single play. For a few teams, it's not. For example, the Vikings, their guy is definitely Dalvin Cook, because he is just always involved. A similar teams, uh, Carolina have Christian McCaffrey. He's their guy at the moment. 
and the Broncos seem to favour Philip Lindsay as their guy over any of their quarterbacks at the moment. But for the most part, it's it's the it's the quarterback. So let's use that as the metaphor. And over the the preparation of the week, you get your quarterback ready. You get him psyched for the match. You make sure his gloves fit him, and you make sure he's fit for the fight. And you keep him moving, and you you go over the opposition, and you work out the game plan, and then you walk them to the ring, and you put them in the ring, and from then on, it's you can you know you can call plays, you can help from the sideline, but for the most part, it's down to your guy at this point. So if you haven't got them ready in the in the week, then you're going to be trouble. You're going to be in trouble when they get in the ring. And I think there are five ways when it comes to these games that teams lose. I'm going to go through them in order of uh, best to worst. The best way you can lose any game really, but the NFL particularly, is when you go the twelve rounds. So this is when you put them in the ring, and twelve rounds later they come out and they've beaten and bloodied and they've been a brilliant fight and they stayed in and the the opposition is just as beaten up as they are but ultimately they lose on a points decision we saw a few of the weekends the panthers versus the packers you know the panthers put up a very very good effort McCaffrey played ridiculously well and was the go-to guy and just a few calls didn't go their way and a few balls didn't fall quite the right way and you know they, they end up losing uh cardinals bucks was another good example this is where Ultimately, you're just not a good enough boxer or not a good enough team to come out with a wing on that occasion. Maybe things go against you situationally, but you know you do, you have a few problems, which mean your team's just not not good enough. So that's that's okay. You you can come out and you know what the problem is with that one. The next one is when you get in the ring and you put your chap in the ring and the enemy turns around and oh my god, it's Mike Tyson and you spend about three rounds getting punched heavily in the face and leave the game with a horrible nosebleed and a concussion. Uh, examples of this this weekend were the Ravens versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati just were physically outmatched in every single way. Whether or not the game plan was good or not doesn't matter because they just, you know, just got pummeled. And that's very much a problem with personnel. You can scheme all you want, but if the team are just going to physically dominate you for the whole game, not a lot you can do about that, I'm afraid. Get bigger players next time. And then the next one is when you get them to the ring, you sort them all out, and you think you've you think you've got everything right. But then as you get in the ring, you realise you put their gloves on backwards. <laughs> and what happens in this time is that sort of yes, everything's a bit off, and you're you're throwing punches, but you're missing, or you, you accidentally hit yourself in the face. More often than not, when your gloves are on backwards, you end up beating yourself. This weekend, that was the Bills and the 49ers against the Browns and the Seahawks. 49ers fumbled, turned the ball over three times. And then still we're in overtime and managed to miss a field goal. So situationally, it's not that the Seahawks or the Browns didn't play well, but the Bills and the 49ers both had chances to win and beat themselves more than they were beaten. So that's not a great one. The next one is more entertaining, but probably more frustrating for teams. This is the steel chair. This is when you're, <laughs> you're preparing for the week. You're there with your gloves on, you're boxing. You know you're, you're a favourite in the fight. You're excited because you're like, oh, I might actually win. I'm going I'm to win one gonna win one I'm gonna knock someone out and then you get in the ring and as the bell goes <laughs> the opponent runs over to you and just hits you in the face of a steel chair <laughs> that happened this weekend to the Saints because they had two weeks to prepare for the Falcons but they were preparing for a very different set of Falcons the ones who turn out and basically what happened was they had they just couldn't possibly see it coming I mean how can you see the Falcons suddenly learning to pass rush and defend in coverage and also run the ball and also be amazing in the passing game at the same time, it was, you know, it's hard to see that coming. It's a bit unfair to sort of be on the receiving end of one of them. But every so often, they happen. You just get steel chaired. Somehow the ref doesn't see that he's hit you with a steel chair. And you end up, you wake up in a hospital three days later and, and you're like, well, I must have lost that one because I can't remember it. 
And then the final one, and this is the one that really bothers me, is when you're going through the week, you're going through the week, you're getting them ready, you're walking down to the ring, and you put them in the ring, and then just as the bell goes, you look at your boxer and you go, oh my god, he's not got any arms. Or, oh my god, he's not got any legs. Or, oh, where's his, I haven't put his glove, oh, he's naked, why is he not wearing anything? And this is when you've just overlooked something really crucial in preparation to the game. And this is... You know, this is just terrible because on all the other things, it's excusable. You miss a few details. Things change. You just you're not quite good enough. That's that's all sort of part of football. But if you lose because you yourself just don't play call properly, don't pregame prep properly, don't prepare for what you absolutely know is coming, then the only person to blame is yourself. And three teams were guilty of that this weekend. I'm going to explain all of them to you. The first ones are the Chiefs versus the Titans. In that game, Mahomes threw 50 times for 440 yards, and they lost. Ryan Tannehill threw 19 times. Derek Henry rushed for 188 yards and 23 carries. Oh my god, stop making Mahomes do all the work for you. Like, you just... You knew the Titans were a run team. All you had to do was exactly what you did against the Vikings. Stack the box, stack the box make it a shootout. Because if it's a shootout, you've got the better QB. But no... You let them run on you all day. You didn't do any running. You were just like, Mahomes, Mahomes will do it. We don't need to prepare for this game. We'll just let Mahomes do it. And you got hammered for it. The Titans didn't have to do anything. And they marched up and down on you. It was embarrassing. And this is my big complaint about Andy Reid. That has happened a few times to him now. And defensively, he just can't be asked sometimes. And it's really frustrating. And I bet it frustrates Mahomes. So that's one. The second one, this is worse. This is the Rams. They lost to the Steelers. And in that game, the Sean McVay offense, the brilliant offense, when they've had a week off to prepare for this, had 15 possessions. And this is how they went. Punt, 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 punt. Fumble, punt. Missed. Field goal. Interception, interception. Field goal. Punt, punt. Turnover on downs. Interception. Now, you knew your run game wasn't going very well. You knew your O-line was weaker. You know the Steelers had a good pass rush. So why... Did you leave Jared Goff alone out there with his receiving core to just sort of have a go at it? That is really bad game planning. And if it wasn't for the fact that you had a really good defense and a really good defensive coordinator, you'd have been hammered in this game because the offense were not moving at all. You're lucky that they got that one defensive touchdown because you could have been you could have been under 10. And that would have been really embarrassing. Sean McVay needs to look at his personnel and look at his pre-game preparation and study the other team more because he should have seen that pass of us coming. And either he didn't prepare Goff for it or he did and Goff was rubbish. Either way, someone needs to have a look at what's going on there. That was rubbish. And the final one, and this is the worst one. This was the Cowboys. In this game, Dak was just shy of 400 yards as a passer. Amari Cooper and Randall Cobb got 100 yards each and they did not have a run game. They were literally marching up and down in Minnesota. And the one thing we knew about the Vikings is that Kirk Cousins doesn't have it at the moment. He was rubbish last week. They're going to rely on Dalvin Cook. Did they do anything to stop Dalvin Cook? No. 97 rushing yards, 86 receiving. Basically, they just ran screens over and over again. I mean, Kirk Cousins had to pass to a wide receiver six times in that game. The other time, it was either just tight end dunk-offs or, oh, there's Dalvin Cook, free, thonk, 12 yards. That is such poor game planning. And the Cowboys have been guilty of this for so long now that... Jerry Jones, who owns the Cowboys, needs to have a look at his team because Dak isn't the problem and they're refusing to pay Dak. 
look at the team, decide what's going wrong. Is it Kellen Moore? If it is, change that. But he's new and it started working at the beginning of the season. What is a continuous factor? Please, please, Cowboys, for the love of God, think about the other head coaches in this division. Think about Doug Peterson. Peterson. I don't know how you pronounce that one. Doug Peterson. And then think about Jason Garrett and how you are constantly in close games because your offense, despite being amazing, never separates. That was appalling. The Cowboys need to have a look at themselves. So did the Chiefs and the Rams. But that one was really bad. And that's been going on for a while now. And Dak really separated himself in this game because he played amazingly and they still couldn't get the win. So, Jerry Jones, have a look because you are losing the worst way possible it is to lose in the NFL. And that rant over. Taking a moment, taking a moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that will move us on to Mailbag. Um, this first question I absolutely love. Thank you very much to the person who wrote this in. I'm not going to drop names. Uh, the question is, who would be the best rugby player to play in the NFL? I love this. First of all, I, it gives me the chance to say this. The NFL is not the same as rugby union. You can't just play offense the same way that you play rugby offense. It's not the same at all. That was proved by Christian Wade. He was sick at rugby. And I don't care that he scored a touchdown in preseason. I could score a touchdown in preseason. He wasn't good. Okay? Leaving that aside. So they would be more likely to be defensive just because it's the sort of the skills of NFL are trending more towards rugby in terms of defensive tackling and stuff. And in World Cup, didn't go well for England eventually. We got quite far, but then it fell apart. But my favourite player of the whole World Cup was Mauro Etoji. And I think he would be an absolute beast in the NFL. He's six foot five. He's 115 kilos. And he's very, very clever. That's what he's known for in his game, in, in sort of in the rugby world, that he's he was always looking for the ball. He's always got hands on. He's very, very secure in the tackle. He would be an unreal defensive end Offense is deteriorating across the league. We know that's offensive lines sorry, are deteriorating across the league. We know that's the case. He would have leverage against most offensive tackles just by being so tall and physical. He keeps his eyes in the backfield. He does that in rugby, so I'm sure he'll be able to learn how to do that in American football. If he played D-end for a team, I think Mauro Toji could be a bit of a beast. God, I'd love to see that, wouldn't you? A Toji in the NFL. Fingers crossed one day that can happen. Uh, moving on to question two. Who is the MVP of the defensive side of the ball? Another good question. Uh, so the the best player in the NFL last year was voted as Aaron Donald. And he is unreal and has always been unreal since he entered the league. But MVP suggests value. It's most valuable player, not best player. So let me put this one to you. First of all, a, a few quick shout outs. Jamal Adams has been unreal. Did you see that takeaway where he just ran up to... Daniel Jones and just sort of like, yoink, took the ball off him and ran away with it and scored a touchdown. That was amazing. But my defensive MVP so far this season is Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick, God, that's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, who started in the Dolphins, but is now a Steeler. Since he moved, he's played seven games for the Steelers. Since he's moved there, he's had five interceptions, two forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery. And has basically been... A huge part in the Pittsburgh turnaround this season. They went from us saying they had no hope when they lost Big Ben and all that to being defensively one of the most well-rounded teams. And just you sh- watching him against the Rams this week, you saw he was always in the right spot. And that secondary without him wasn't great at all. But now with him and that sort of the confidence he gives them at the safety position, he has been unreal for them. And a lot of the Pittsburgh players have been coming out and saying, it was Bud Dupree this week saying, I wish we'd given up more draft picks for him because he is that valuable. But yeah, that's my answer. Minka Fitzpatrick so far this season for the Steelers, not his Dolphins stuff as much, but although he did get a 
pick for the Dolphins as well. So, you know, all adds up. But yeah, Mick Fitzpatrick this season is the most valuable defensive player. He has been unreal for the Steelers. Another good question. Who is winning the race in the Tank for Tua competition? Uh, what this what this means is uh, for those who are less experienced in the NFL, tanking is when you deliberately lose. Of course, Tua is the college NFL best quarterback prospect at the moment. His new his real name is Tua Tangu, Tanguivaloa. Quill, Tanguila doesn't matter. He's <laughs> he's really good. Uh, there are two other people in the draft who are also quite good, but Tua is sort of the 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 premium prospect, and there are a lot of teams that want that would probably pick him up where they first pick, but it's going to be the Bengals, isn't it, really? Of all the teams that are doing like poorly, like the Jets not doing very well, the Dolphins not doing great, although they are two, two on a run, the Giants not doing amazingly either, but the, the Bengals are the ones that still haven't got a win, and they really need a new quarterback. Andy Dalton does not work for them anymore. I could see a team making a really ambitious move to the top to try and get one of the other ones. Justin Herbert is uh, one, who, one such prospect who's very good. The other one is... Joe Burrow, who plays for LSU, who just beat Tua, actually, in a, in a head-to-head game. But it's, it's interesting because people are projecting this to be one of the best QB drafts we've had in, in a while. But actually, how many teams really need a new QB? I'd say the Titans need to get rid of Mariota, but Tannehill will work for a while. The Jets have just got Darnold. The Dolphins have got Fitzpatrick and Rosen sitting behind him. Rosen's still a young prospect. So and unless teams want to move off of their young QBs, like... I could see Tampa moving off James Winston because he keeps throwing picks. Or I could see the Bears moving off Trubisky because, you know, he's he's terrible. But in terms of teams that are going to pick up Tua, it has to be someone who's going to be a first-round pick because he's going early. So I think I think Tua will end up going to Cincinnati. And then I think we'll see Herbert and Burrow end up ending up going slightly further down the draft we expect, which will mean that some teams are going to be able to pick up a really good quarterback much lower than they expected. Because, th- now this is interesting, the Dolphins have a lot of picks, but no, the QB is probably the one position they don't desperately need a new person, so they're going to pick up a lot of good defensive players and start building that way, I suspect. But yes, tanking for Tua, I'm going to bet Cincinnati pick him up. And that will bring us on to games of the week, starting on Sunday at 6pm. And the first one I'm going to put forward is the Texans at the Ravens. I cannot wait for this. The Ravens have been unreal for the last two weeks. They dominated the Patriots, then they dominated Cincinnati. But this is the best QB prospect they're going to face for a while, until the playoffs at least after this, because Deshaun Watson has been unreal and he's had two weeks to prepare against the Ravens' defense, which still isn't perfect. They don't have much of a run game, the Texans, but they've had two weeks to prepare, so I can't wait to see what they bring offensively and then on the defensive side of the ball what can they do to stop Lamar who has just been I've I've given up worrying about him because it's such a pleasure to watch him run did you see that run where he he juked two players and then as the third guy came to clean him out from the juke just sort of pivoted like a ballerina and ran on and scored a touchdown and it's it was just like I don't know how anyone would defend that it's pointless trying and as much as I like it when he throws Watching him run has become just an absolute treat. And even Russell Wilson doesn't run like um, Lamar Jackson anymore. So it's going to be really interesting to see these two very athletic quarterbacks running around trying to make things happen with their feet and with their arms. And then it's basically going to come down to whose defence can do the most to stop the other team moving. And I suspect that the Ravens' offence and run game is 
just too unique for the Texans. So I think at Baltimore, this will be another close, closer win for Baltimore and the Ravens. But again, watching Deshaun Watson and his passing. I mean, if he gets kicked in the eye and throws another touchdown, then I'm crowning him MVP. And I don't care how well Russell Wilson plays because that is unreal. But either way, going to be a fantastic game. Fingers crossed for Baltimore, but that's just as a fan. Either way, fingers crossed for a brilliant game, which it will be. And the second one, this is another one where two teams have had a bye. Last time two teams had a bye, the Falcons beat the Saints. So you know something weird's going to happen. This is the Patriots at the Eagles. This is in my Akastaka, and I will come to it. But let me explain to you why this would be a good game. Belichick is brilliant off a bye. Philadelphia is the hard, one of the hardest places to play away because it's just a very hostile and not very nice stadium at all. The Eagles are getting healthier and they've got more of an identity as a team. And the Patriots, last time they played, got found out a bit defensively and they got run on. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. How good are the Patriots going to be in their bounce back game, especially with a week to prepare versus how good can Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson be against that Patriots defence, especially in the passing game. Cannot wait to see that one either. And that will bring an end to our games of the week. They are the Texans at the Ravens and the Patriots at the Eagles starting at Sunday at 6 and just basically keep watching until you either fall asleep or they finish it around quarter past 11 midnight. That's what I do every week. And finally that will bring up the struggling Akastaka. I had a look back, I'm just over 50% on calls. So, I mean, the Bills... Bloomin' let me down with their plus three being a draw, so I got the odds back on that one, but then the Saints ruined it anyway by losing to the Falcons when they were projected to win by 12 points, which is one of the, the biggest margins I've ever seen go the other way, so that's not good. But anyway, we're going to start with the X-Stacker, and I'm going for the Bills again for the first one, the Bills minus six at the Dolphins. Listen, the Dolphins are playing well, but it's a lot of it is based on Fitzpatrick just sort of closing his eyes and going YOLO and chucking it as hard as he can at the nearest receiver. The Bills' secondary is too good for that, and the Dolphins still don't really have a run game. Josh Allen didn't play well last week, but they still did manage to move, and the Browns have a much better defense than the Dolphins did. Minus six isn't that huge a margin, especially if it's the, it gets into a shootout and the Dolphins are trying to keep up. I can't see Ryan Fitzpatrick making huge plays against the secondary. I just can't. So I'm going to swallow the points and say the Bills, minus six. This is a divisional game. They realise that they're starting to slack off. They want to make the playoffs. They do need to keep competing for that wildcard spot. And teams are closing in on them. This is one that they can't afford to lose. And I think we see them revert to the run game and revert to their defence and sort of just coddle Josh Allen and run the Dolphins to death. So I think they win 20 to about nine. Maybe 12. I'll be kind of the Dolphins. 20 to 12, still enough. And the next one, Pittsburgh, plus three at the Browns. Divisional game, I've got the better head coach. Their defence is brilliant at the moment. I've talked about Minka Fitzpatrick. And the Browns were, I mean, I, the Bills didn't hand them the game, but they did a lot to make sure that it was easier for them. They were missing field goals and the like. The Pittsburgh Steelers are a much more drilled team and offensively just have a bit more going for them than the Browns do at the moment. There's definitely more weapons than the Browns. Can you name a Browns receiver right now? I can name one, and his name is John Brown. The Pittsburgh Steelers have you know, Juju Smith-Schuster. They've got their running back coming back soon. Mason Rudolph is making things work-ish, but it's all about that defense, and the Browns making mistakes in the divisional game at home. There's going to be the pressure. The pressure is all on 
Baker Mayfield and I think against Minka Fitzpatrick and this improved defence and Mike Tomlin they get baited into making a lot of mistakes and I think Pittsburgh basically walk on the back of their defence and run out of this game 24-20 and that would be a plus three so good there as well Pittsburgh plus three next one and this is an interesting one I'm going with the Chiefs minus 3.5 at the charge listen I'm annoyed at Andy Reid but I don't think he's bad they beat the Vikings by just committing to the run and forcing them to pass. Then they didn't do that against Tennessee, and they were punished for it. This week, go back to basics, commit to stopping Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler, and make Philip Rivers work against your pass rush. Because the pass rush have been efficient at the moment, and they are managed to close people down. Philip Rivers throws a lot of picks, but he does throw a lot of yards as well. Make sure that secondary is tight, and then just let Patrick Mahomes do his thing, because the Chargers defence couldn't stop Oakland, so it's not going to stop you. Minus three and a half isn't that big a margin. I think if the Chiefs get out to an early league, then this could get ugly quite quickly for the Chargers because they have been very up and down. But if the Chiefs let the Chargers run on them, then they're going to lose. So I'm betting here on Andy Reid having the sense to go, OK, let's stop the run at least. And then if we get in a shootout, at least we have the better QB. So the Chiefs minus three at the Chargers. Also, the Chargers don't really have home games because they're such a newly moved team that there isn't an established fan base. So it doesn't really matter that it's at LA because it's basically the Rams stadium. No one cares about the Chargers in LA. They're a, a team from San Diego originally. So no, I'm not worried about the home field advantage in that one. I think we'll be okay. Next up, the Broncos plus 11 at the Vikings. Yes, I know the Vikings just won. Yes, I know it's at the Vikings. Yes, I know it's a dome game. So Kirk Cousin has the potential to be better. But look at what the Vikings are doing at the moment. They don't want to rely on Kirk Cousins. What do the Broncos do very well? Defend off a bye week. I wish it was at mile high, that would make it easy, but plus 11 is a big margin for Kirk Cousins to run up. He doesn't use his receivers very much, even though they're great. He relies on his tight ends and, his da and Dalvin Cook. I think if the Broncos can get after Dalvin Cook and shut that down, then whatever they've prepared in their offense will be enough to keep them within range in this game. So plus 11 is a big margin. I'm going to allow for Philip, Philip Lindsay to run the ball. I don't know who they've chosen at QB yet, but it doesn't necessarily matter because this is about defense and whether they can keep the Vikings in range so Broncos plus 11 at the Vikings and finally I'm going for the Eagles plus three and a half at the Patriots wait wait football gods do not curse me for betting against Patriots I think the Patriots will win okay I'm just saying that now so I don't get jinxed I think the Patriots will probably win this game Bill Belichick of a bye is too good not to but they've got to go to Philadelphia They've got to play a team that have been asserting a dominant run game with the, um, the backfield of running backs and a really strong O-line. And they, in two weeks, I mean, I know the Falcons turn it around, but how much better can your defence get? If the Eagles can just keep Brady in the offence off the field, run on the defence, keep moving, and then when the defence goes on, do enough. They don't even have to stop, destroy the um, Patriots offence because the Patriots offence is relying on a few key pieces at the moment. So shut down a few key pieces, make Brady play the way he doesn't like to play, which is throwing deep balls and constantly having to pass. Brady likes check downs, passing to wide open players. He likes mismatches on his receivers and running backs. So just do enough to slow Brady down and then work your hardest, use the home foot advantage and use your fans plus three and a half. I think the Eagles probably lose. I think it's reasonably low scoring, but I'm betting plus two and a half. That's a big enough margin to cover. So that is the Eagles winning that one, plus three and a half. I think the score will probably be something more like 21-20.
So that is the Eagles plus two and a half at the Patriots, the Broncos plus 11 at the Vikings, the Chiefs minus three and a half at the Chargers, Pittsburgh plus three at the Browns, and the Bills minus six at the Dolphins. And that will round off our Akastaka and the show for this week. Thank you very much for listening. As always, we are on Twitter and all our various podcast streams. If you want to get in touch, just at us. We are also on Instagram. Um, at mkfailmary you can find us on all the various platforms tell your friends why not get more people listening to the fail mary the fail mary army no that's not not making that a thing the fail mary fans there we go that'll do we have a name now look at that coming closer every single week uh yes thank you very much for listening this has been an interesting ending but i've enjoyed it and i'll see you next time <laughs>